how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Mike Rowe always wanted to be a storyteller. Currently, he's a writer for LAist, where he covers arts entertainment. In one viral article, Werewolf Bar Mitzvah from 30 Rock and Oral History, Mike was approached to write a book on the series 30 Rock. In the 30 Rock book, Inside the Iconic Show from Blurg to Egot, Mike interviews over 50 of the original cast members, crew, and critics. He discusses how the goofy show became an all-time classic. In this interview, Mike talks about jokes for one percenters, his obsession with creative ideas, how to write a book while keeping your day job, how he and his wife co-write spec screenplays, and surprising themes from the 30 Rock book. Uh, you know, I've always been into writing ever since I was very, very little. I used to write uh, fantasy stories when I was in like grade school, and uh, you know, I wrote about... I remember I wrote stories like with my friends involved and my dad was like, oh, it's so adorable. Um, and, you know, I think that as I got older, you know, I took a, a writing classes in like summer camp because I'm a nerd. So I would uh, dive in and just want to learn more about writing. And then I think eventually I got to the point where I lost faith in it as a way to sustain yourself. So I think it took mm -hmm. me a long time to really actively pursue it as much as I wanted to. Um, you know, I got into uh, uh, media more generally in high school because my high school had a radio station. Uh, and then, uh, you know, wrote for my college newspaper and um, ended up in journalism. But, uh, you know, I think that it all goes back to those stories as a kid and, and just always wanting to be a storyteller. Where do you kind of see, I mean, I feel like the freedom to write about TV shows and, and fan stuff like that is, is more recent. I mean, I would say early yeah. 2000s, maybe. Um, is it just that like people are obsessed with things and we finally have the time to look into them? And then a show like 30 Rock has got so much to dive into. What do you kind of think spawned all this, you know, pop culture and some of that today? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it really is the internet making it so that people can find their community, find, um, you know, the things that they care about. Like, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, it, it was a harder thing for us all to become writers back in the day, especially, you know, like, uh, you know, everyone having personal computers is only a few decades old. So it was like, uh, you know, hard for people to have access to easy writing, ways to share it, ways to learn, ways to improve, um, you know, beyond like school newspaper and, and school radio station and stuff. I got my first real experience like writing on deadline on a regular basis, uh, writing as a fan in the early 2000s for this uh, pro wrestling website. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I was just such a big fan of this other writer there and he let me guess for him and I just fell in love with that whole process. And, um, you know, I think that that ended up uh, being like actually a stepping stone on the way to becoming a professional, because when I, um, you know, got an interview in public radio uh, in like writing for digital, uh, you know, my uh, my first person who was hiring me asked me about uh, where else I'd written before. And I mentioned this pro wrestling site and she like pulled it up like in our interview and was checking it out. And, you know, I just was a reminder to me, like, I think you always have to put yourself out there in as many places as you can. Um, you know, I think that that was a great way to learn about writing. And, uh, you know, I think that I went on to, you know, I've been working in public radio now for 15 years and uh, have been uh, writing about pop culture for a lot of that. Um, and, you know, that's that's what ultimately led to this book, too, was uh, was an article I wrote that sort of spawned um, the inspiration for this. How do you kind of see, if you look back at those like wrestling articles, it's not exactly sports journalism, but it is journalism. Yeah. It's like entertainment. Um, I kind of credit some of this, maybe like to Chuck Klosterman, who wrote this real in-depth stuff about silly pop, you know, silly things kind of, how do you kind of see your writing style over the years? And if you go back and read those articles, do you still see bits and pieces that's there today? You know, I think it's interesting looking back at old stuff because, um, you know, when I was young, it's very uninhibited. You know, you have, uh, you know, you're trying to find a voice, you're putting yourself out there. And um, then like, as I became like a professional, it starts to get pulled back a bit because, uh, you know, you're trying to fit into what your editors want. You're trying to fit into, um, you know, more of a box of like, oh, I'm a professional journalist now. I have to uh, have like serious authorial voice and um, you know, and I work in public radio, so it's very like trying to be non-biased and trying to, um, you know, like give uh, a flavor of something, but not going too far an opinion. Um, so I think that that was actually something I struggled with a lot when I first started working on this book was it had been, uh, you know, so long since I'd gotten to write this kind of thing without having to worry about that, those constraints as much. And, you know, I'm still, I still work in journalism, so I still have, um, you know, some of those journalistic ethics things that I was like, you know, I have to have to maintain some professionalism in this and I have to, um, you know, do that while also writing about a thing that I deeply love. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I think it was just, you know, figuring like finding my voice again was one of my favorite parts of the process. So let's kind of, I think you already touched on this, but let's touch on that article, the werewolf bar mitzvah from 30 rock and oral history. I remember this joke. I mean, this is, this is <laughs> one eight second thing of a 21 minute show and it's multiple seasons. What was it about this episode or this little joke? And I think in the book, you kind of describe the whole comedy style as the one or two percenters. Like these jokes are very niche, but let's talk a little bit about this article and how it came to be. 
you know, I uh, remember one, it was sort of a new era at my work. You know, I work for a public radio station, but they uh, bought this other website, LAist, and it was um, sort of a chance to expand our digital brand. And I was part of sort of the core group of writers for the site. And so we were sort of brainstorming what are like fun things we could write about that would like uh, get an audience that, you know, would be about, um, you know, my area was covering arts and entertainment and pop culture. And, uh, you know, this was a pitch. They always like, uh, you know, I love the idea of doing like a deep dive into something that doesn't matter. Like <laughs> I want to, uh, I love going really in depth on something and getting like the stories about things that like, those are the details that people really remember from something. It's like the super specific things that, um, you know, like this moment from this show, like, you know, there are actual bar mitzvahs that end up using the song. There are, uh, you know, it became like a meme and it's like has a historical impact because like Donald Glover worked on the lyrics and the vocals for this. And then before he was Donald Glover and Childish Gambino, um, you know, and it was such a fun chance to like dive deep into something. Um, and, you know, like we are I, I work for a place where like I'm mostly a generalist, like I don't get to write uh, big, gen, big, giant, in-depth stories that much. But, it, you know, it was a chance to go in depth on something without having to cover something as broad as like a whole show. It's like I covered this moment in in depth and was able to, you know, give voice and life to that moment um, in a way that I think a lot of people really connected with. And, uh, you know, it was it was great to be able to put that out there and to, um, you know, like my favorite thing in reporting is interviews. Like I love conversations. I love getting to talk with creative people about, um, you know, what they think about their work, what, how they came up with those ideas, uh, what they think is cool. Like, um, you know, I just love connecting with creativity. And so uh, that was, you know, such a pleasure in, in putting that together. Hmm. What else is kind of, what's the deeper story here? So, I mean, the werewolf bar mitzvah, that's kind of the headline, but I mean, really this joke summarizes the show, which I'm sure eventually led to the book, but um, maybe walk me through, like, how did this specifically lead to you writing a book? Is this, I think this is your first book. So how did this, is my that, first book. How did yeah. this all work out and everything? Uh, you know, I had, I, you know, I wrote this article and, you know, submitted it for some potential awards. I ended up winning an Ali Press Club award for the, the piece just because, you know, people thought it was so fun and such a great um, look inside of something. And then uh, it was actually a, a publisher reached out to me, one editor at, at one of the big publishers reached out um, asking me if I'd be interested in doing a whole book about 30 Rock. Uh, and you know, it was a weird time to try to figure that out. I think like he heard about it because of the award and I think he'd seen it going around online. Um, and, uh, you know, it took me a little while to say yes, because, you know, it's a big commitment to write a book. And also I got the invite to write it just days after my mom passed away. Um, and so it was like a, a busy, hard, emotional time. Um, but I ultimately said yes, because I knew that just because I was, um, you know, having a, a hard time and in a bad place right then, I think that she wouldn't have wanted me to miss out on this opportunity. And because I do love 30 Rock so much and, um, you know, think it's a, a genius piece of entertainment. You know, I spent years here in Southern California doing improv and sketch comedy around town. So like Tina Fey was a real hero. Like, um, you know, the writing on that show is among some of the best 
uh, comedy writing ever and some of the best like sketch comedy writing because like a lot of those scenes are sort of built around like a bit in sort of the way the SNL or Saturday Night Live is um, and you know you can see sort of like beginning middle end to all of it and um, you know I just love love that writing style and it was it was really fun to get to explore that. What kind of surprised you maybe logistically going from shorter articles, deadlines to this full book? How did you kind of change that and prepare and everything like that? You know, I think that the uh, weird thing, yeah, it's, it was nice, like having time to prepare um, at the same time, you know, it was a thing where like I got an advance for my book, but it wasn't a huge advance. This is my first book. Um, and, you know, it meant like I still had to do my day job. So it was a lot of, uh, you know, writing and, and reporting all day and then writing and reporting all night. Um, and, uh, you know, it was such a cool process. And like, you know, I did a lot of uh, you know, trying to figure out the structure of this, like, what was it going to be shaped like? What are the things I want to make sure got in there? Um, what were the inspirations that I wanted to sort of try to live up to? Um, you know, I looked at some other oral histories. I looked at some other books that covered TV culture. Um, you know, I thought back to growing up. I loved there were these uh, books about the Simpsons where they would go into like very like detail on like every episode and go through like the jokes that were the best and what whose character where these characters came from and I was like uh, you know I'd love to pull in some of that flavor to this too um, so I think that getting the chance to really think about it structurally is something that I love doing. I, I like structure. Um, you know, my wife and I, we write screenplays together also. So, um, you know, it's structure is such, such an important part of that. And I love, um, you know, figuring out what the best way to tell a story is using that. Hmm. Was there any, so with a show like this, I mean, there's obviously comparisons to SNL, Tina Fey. It was so big that the network kind of took a chance on a, on a female writer like that star. Were there some other like, tentpole themes in the book that surprised you that kind of carry through that you didn't see coming? Yeah. I mean, I think that the thing I knew a little bit going in that this was at least I'm getting was something I'm just going to have to touch on um, was the uh, you know, places where the show had fallen short when it came to um, you know, diversity, when it came to uh, you know, comedy that was punching down instead of punching up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's, the way our comedies evolved a lot over a very short time. Like this was on the air. The finale of uh, 30 Rock was, uh, you know, just about a decade ago now um, started, you know, in the mid two thousands. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that probably wouldn't fly on TV today on this mm -hmm. show. Uh, some of it was, you know, in a sense, some of it had a, a bigger purpose. Um, you know, the, the thing that I think um, hits you the most when you go back and look at it is that it's a show that, uses blackface at least four times, I believe. Um, and, you know, it's a thing where uh, it's, it's like, why, why is this happening? But, um, you know, it's, that's the way comedy was at the time, especially so many writers rooms were filled with uh, not very diverse rooms that were largely white, if not all white. Um, and, you know, the way that a lot of these writers, like they felt they were making a point by parodying things, by having like blackface in an episode. But, uh, you know, it's a thing where I, I talked when I was doing this book with like a black critic and he was saying, you know, you're not going to see black writers writing blackface uh, jokes. Like it's, uh, you know, they're, it's clearly they didn't have voices in the room who could say like, maybe we should, maybe we should think again about this. 
and like they weren't the only ones either like there were jokes similar jokes on the office had like a blackface controversy community uh scrubs like basically any uh nbc sitcom around 2010 uh had some issues um and you know i started working on this book at the end of 2019 uh, so how surprised would I be to find a few months later, there was a pandemic, uh, which changed a lot of the planning for this book as far as like in-person interviews and, you know, made some people less available. It made some people more available because I was able to like, we all learned zoom. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely a, a weird time. And then like in that summer of 2020 amid like new black lives matter protests, uh, Tina Fey came out and, uh, asked for the episodes to be taken off of streaming. And so those episodes were pulled down and, um, you know, that led to some folks clamming up who were, were uh, you know, like I obviously didn't necessarily want to talk about the show right after that controversy. Right. That was like one of the, I think is the only show that really spoke up and kind of took them off like that where other shows, I think uh, Mad Men did a disclaimer and they said, you know, this and that or, or whatever, but um, how did you kind of start to, so obviously that shifted some of your interview process. How did you start yeah. to come in more sensitively, I guess, to, to try and pursue those interviews? What were you kind of doing? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, um, that was another thing that I, I think I was surprised about in the process was I'm used to as a journalist, you know, I'm reaching out when somebody has a thing to promote, uh, when they, when there's like a new art exhibition or whatever. And so this was the thing where it's like, oh, they don't have like a big incentive to talk to me because they're, they aren't, I'm not promoting their movie and this thing isn't going to come out for like another year or whatever. Um, so it was like trying to figure out how do I make this, uh, seem appealing to folks. And like, you know, some folks just like to talk. So some folks were, uh, you know, happy to, to get on the phone with you and, uh, you know, would talk your ear off for hours. And then there are others who were more reticent and for a wide variety of reasons, whether it's, um, you know, some folks had bad memories about their experience with the show. Some folks had, um, you know, didn't want to screw anything up for their careers by saying something dumb. Uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of reasons why people do or don't want to speak with you for a project like this. And so the, sort of learning that and learning to work more through like agents and publicists and managers mm -hmm. who control access to a lot of these big names was um, you know, a learning process for me because I've worked with them before, but not at this level where I was, you know, reaching out to like, you know, probably at least a hundred people, um, you know, just constant emails trying to put this all together and, you know, doing it while, while doing a, a regular job and, and life and everything else. Did you have any chance to kind of cycle back through some of the interviews? Cause it seems like if you learn something from one person, you want to go back and check and how did kind of that work out logistically for you? Yeah, you know, I did get a chance to do some of that. And I think that there were, um, you know, some folks who were really helpful throughout the process. I, um, you know, definitely I spoke with one of the, uh, you know, supervising directors and producers on the show who he helped guide me and connect me with a lot of other folks and, um, you know, did me the kindness of, you know, like sending an email to all the top folks and saying, you should talk with this guy. He's, uh, you know, a, a legit reporter. He's going to, you know, do a fair story. You know, I think that, um, you know, you should, you should uh, be a part of this. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, it's finding people like that, finding folks who will vouch for you, who will help you get to the next person. Um, you know, there were um, a lot of folks who, who were, you know, very kind to me in that. And, um you know, I hope that I wrote a book that I think is very fair. I think that it looks at, uh, you know, problematic moments. It, you know, I talk with a lot of 
uh, people who I think their voices weren't heard at the time. You know, I got to talk with, um, you know, a black crew member about how he felt about the blackface episodes and how, you know, it was, it was a nuanced perspective too. Cause he was saying how the first time they did it, he thought it worked because they were making like a bigger cultural point in that episode mm-hmm. where it was about like black women, black men versus white women who has a harder in America. Um, and, uh, you know, it was sort of also showing these characters are complete idiots and are doing a thing that's very offensive. Then they brought blackface jokes back again, including having one of these characters do blackface again. And that time it was, you know, about the character themselves and wasn't about race or about, um, you know, a bigger thing. And, and, you know, I talked with this, uh, crew member about like how he, you know, was overwhelmed and like, he just couldn't believe this was getting through and he had to sort of go hide in his office as he saw folks coming out to the stage uh, in this makeup. Um, You know, I think that it was really fascinating to get hear perspectives like that because in entertainment so often um, you hear the success stories. Like it's, uh, you know, people want to make it seem like they're always on the way up. They're always uh, doing a new thing. They've got all these opportunities, but like, the real story is there's just so much rejection, so much failure. Um, you know, a, a lot of this is, comes from good intentions, but there's, you know, mistakes along the way. And I think that showing some of that while also showing, um, you know, why this is one of the historically great shows was, uh, you know, what, what I was ultimately trying to do. Hmm. Was maybe not 30 Rock itself, but was writing a book always part of the plan? Have you pitched books in the past? How did this kind of, how do you think about this years ago? Yeah, you know, I don't think that I've always been a guy who uh, wanted to write a book necessarily. I think that, um, you know, I, like I mentioned, you know, my wife and I, we write screenplays together. I think that I've done a lot of comedy writing. Uh, I was, um, done a lot of screenwriting, but I think that writing a book was, um, you know, not part of the plan, but I wanted to do it because it was a chance to explore something in depth. It was a chance to, um, you know, combine a lot of things that um, are have been influences on me and I think made me the right person to write this between uh, my journalism experience, my comedy experience, my screenwriting experience. Um, it all sort of added up to like, this is, if I'm ever going to write a, a nonfiction book, this is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've thought since then about like other book pitches and possibly doing something new, possibly um, you know, what, what's the next thing if I, if I were to do another one. Um, but, you know, I think that this was a like unique, special thing that, um, that, you know, I want, I, this, I fell in love with the project much more than the idea of just writing a book. I've been really interested in asking people recently how they think about maybe creating leverage for themselves. And you kind of did that not accidentally, but in a way, the world bar mitzvah, one of, I'm sure thousands of articles that kind of took off. So, I mean, do you kind of see just this like, uh, quantity equals quality? How do you kind of think about some of these things in your career? Yeah. I mean, I think that it is, um, you know, like they always talk about, you get your 10,000 hours, you, uh, have to just keep on doing stuff and growing as a creative person. Um, you know, I took me a long time to sort of believe in myself. And I think that, um, the last few years were a big part of that, uh, were in like finally finding that belief in myself, let me do a project like this in a way that I think was, um, interesting and was credible, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I, um, I think that, 
promoting yourself though is is super key like i think that it's you want to try and write for as many places as possible you want to um you know put your writing out there try to uh connect with people and like you know i'm somebody with like social anxiety who that's always been hard for and um you know it's just in the last couple years i went to like right after my mom passed like that's when i started therapy for the first time and started like trying to get um, you know, a hold on some of these issues that I think held me back in my career. Um, you know, I, I was listening to um, another author talking about like all of the like cold calling they did. And I'm like, that's terrifying. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think that's um, a thing that I, I sort of had to give myself exposure therapy through this book by uh, calling and talking to like dozens, hundreds of people to make this happen. Um, and, you know, it's still hard. Like it was a thing where it's like, is this going to get easier? No, it doesn't. Uh, but, you know, maybe a little, maybe a little, but um you know, I, I think that I've always tried to put my voice out there on social media and when I get a chance to write things, um, hosting events, um, you know, I, I tr- try to apply a lot of what I learned doing improv to um, to my career as far as like doing a thing and trying to yes and other people and mm-hmm. try to, um, you know, be somebody who is always adding an idea, always, um, you know, giving somebody a little something new and, and being kind while doing it. And, you know, it took a long time, but it's, uh, you know, sort of, it, you know, that's the way that you're able to make a little bit of progress. How do you kind of think about, so you're, you're doing articles, you've done a book, you write screenplays. I think you've, you've written some comedy scripts, but you also, you and your wife write dramas. Are there being used to writing with deadlines when you go from nonfiction to a fictional script, do you have more writer's block? Does the partnership help that? Tell me some of those logistics. You know, I think that I actually get more writer's block when doing nonfiction because I think that I am such a stickler for like getting the facts right and getting, um, you know, I think that when you're when you're creating a story, you get to decide the structure of it. But in like uh, when you're telling nonfiction, like sometimes there's there are things about the events that sort of dictate what the structure has to be. Um, and you sort of have to figure out, like, what is the best way of telling this that is going to um, help people connect with it? That is also accurate and true. Um, you know, it, it it's interesting, like, you know, working on this project, though, I think it also helped me tap into some of my own uh feelings and experiences with some of the issues that they talk about in here. Um, and like, you know, recently my wife and I, we've been working on a script that I think it's my most personal one yet that I never thought of before, but just, um, you know, was inspired by a lot of the same issues because, uh, yeah, I'm working on a, a script now that is, uh, inspired by, I had my, one of my uncles was in the Hawaiian mafia. And so I'm writing about that and like ins- using like real world stuff to inspire it and, and doing a lot of research. Um, but I think I became a better journalist and a better researcher through this project. Um, and so it's, I'm putting that back into my, my fictional work as well. Um, but, you know, I think that it is, you know, super important to uh, in, be able to stick to the facts and to, um, you know, use research in interesting ways. And I think it works in both nonfiction and fiction. Where are you guys currently at with your, like, do you have an agent you work with? Are you writing spec scripts or what are those? Uh, We're writing like specs, uh, TV, TV pilot specs and that sort of thing. Um, You know, we have lots of friends in the industry and that sort of thing and um, make connections over the years, but we haven't, we don't get paid for it yet. Like we're definitely putting ourselves out there and, um, you know, making connections and, uh, you know, getting, you know, seeing a lot of our friends come up and, you know, Amy Poehler speaking of uh, some of these 
comedy folks from that era, uh, you know, she used to always joke that, you know, you just keep doing it for 10 years and then your friends give you jobs. Uh, <laughs> so like, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that, you know, we found a community and it's a thing where like, I have to write, like it's, uh, whether or not I'm ever as much of a success as I may dream of being, uh, you know, I think that it's a thing where if you have it in you and you want to create things, like you have to do it. Um, you know, I don't think I have a choice. Like, I think that there's, uh, I would feel dead inside if I wasn't doing this creative stuff. Like I've always been very, very driven and, uh, you know, sometimes I can get in my own way, but, you know, I think that, um, you know, I have to keep going after these things that, uh, and put, putting that voice out there. Are there any other things you do? So I think you've got a great, you know, healthy mindset about that. I mean, it is about the process as opposed yeah. to the big check, which will hopefully come later, but <laughs> exactly. um, how do you kind of, yeah, like I didn't about, do, I, yeah. I just say, I didn't do this book for, for a check. Like right. if I did, uh, th- then it would, that would have been a failure. I mostly like, I want people to read the book, like is why I want it to sell. Like, I don't care so much about making money off of it. I just want, uh, you know, it to get out there and people to think about it. Have you always had this mindset or was there ever a point when you're like, why am I doing this? Like what kind of kept you going for those listeners that are hitting those roadblocks? You know, I think that um, I've always wanted to communicate with people. I think that's what, um, you know, got me into performing. Like for a while I studied music when I was in uh, started college, I started as a music major. Um, and like, you know, I used to dream about being an MTV VJ was uh, one of my one of my goals back in the day. And uh, there's there's uh, I have a VHS tape of me doing a request out in Times Square on TRL on MTV because I'm such a big fan of that stuff. But I think that like I just was able to keep putting my like wearing my heart on my sleeve, which um, can hurt sometimes. But like I would you know keep putting myself out there because I just had to and because you know, I think it's growing up in that era when uh, we were transitioning into this online culture that we are now. Um, you know, I think that growing up when it wasn't so easy to connect with people who didn't think like you, um, you know, this was like the only way to like really reach out and put your voice out there was something like this, where, uh, you know, you you would try to like find something that like people would read and like you can connect with. And then, uh, you know, now we can like all just, you know, tweet at each other or whatever. But, uh, but you know, I think that it was... Um, you know, coming out of that, I think has gave me the sort of this mindset that um, I have to keep making stuff. And, um, you know, I think that whether or not I make a living from it isn't really the the issue so much as just I have to create. Um, and I think that if you put the end result ahead of the process, then you're just gonna be miserable because, mm. uh, you know, especially when you're trying to do a hard thing. Like I, you know, I keep doing screenwriting. I think that, I guess early on in my writing like there were there were moments where I'm like you know uh I I was like like oh I'm gonna make it or like like I made it to I was interviewed for a fellowship with one of the big tv networks and I didn't get it and it was like a crushing moment but it was also like I am proud of what I'm doing and you know if I didn't get this like I have to keep I'm, it doesn't change the work Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.